God of wonders, who is beyond our understanding, and yet who makes yourself available to us, to journey with us. We welcome you here, your presence here in our lives today. We welcome your voice to speak to us. We thank you for your word, which Martina pointed out to us, is the light to us and gives light to our life. And as we engage with it this morning, we invite you to speak to us. We recognise these are ancient texts, but that in the midst of the ancient text is also um, your living and breathing word. And so we look and listen to you this morning. We ask, Lord God, that all that is said and done will bring glory and honour to you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Well, there are two kinds of people in the world. There are the people who see the problems and the people who find solutions. When I was a little girl, um, I had a friend who taught me this principle. She said she was making up a bed in a hurry for somebody as they were dropping in suddenly at night and I happened to be staying there because I had been babysitting. and, And I remember watching her in action and thinking, gee... I know people, won't double them in, that would just go, no, this is too hard, I can't just be flexible and fit around this situation, it's too difficult. And I was saying that to her and she said, well, there are people who see problems and there are people who find solutions. And I would rather be a person who finds solutions and participates in solutions than be a person who finds problems and points them out. Sometimes people that find problems can find problems with solutions too. Do you know what I mean? (laughs) Hello, I recognise that. (laughs) There is this reality that sometimes when we um, see a problem and people come in with ideas, well, oh, no, 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 that won't work because... Oh, no, no, that won't work because... But then there are people who solve problems. They want to be part of the solution. They want to be part of how we get through a situation that is too difficult. I live with a man who is a problem solver... Um, When I have a technical issue with my computer, I normally don't actually know what the problem is, to be honest, before he's resolved it and brought about a solution. Our dishwasher at one point last year stopped working and I thought, oh, you're only five years old, this is not really good. I'm going to have to, oh, sorry, get a guy to come and look at the dishwasher. But before I'd finished mumbling about getting a guy to look at the dishwasher, Paul had pulled it out and undone it all and pulled the palm out of pump out and found three or four loom bands wrapped around it. For those of you who have little kids, loom bands, you know it. They're in everything and they were in the dishwasher. Paul is solutions based and quite often he'll have a really good crack at fixing something before I get a chance to really mumble too much. Um, And being a solutions based person is a positive thing. Um, But let's just keep that thought in our mind because I want to make another thought today and the other thought is there are two kinds of people who don't get frustrated with God's timing. Who who does get frustrated with God's timing? Okay, so you can in this point say, well, this one isn't me. I might have been in the other one, but this one isn't me. The people that don't get frustrated with God's timing have two reasons why. One is because they say, well, God is running the universe and he's really busy And there's no need for me to take my trouble to him. I don't need to, you know, worry God with this little thing. I can just work it out myself. And so they don't get frustrated with God's timing because they don't need to wait for God's timing because they don't take the trouble to go to God to ask him to help. Got it? Yep. And the other people that don't get frustrated with God's timing are the people that think to themselves, when I see this solution... I know there'll be 
uh, sorry, when I say this problem, I know there'll be people that will have solutions and maybe God will have a solution. However, I can't be certain that they will do the solution right. So I'd better do it myself. Do I I have any witnesses here today? I can't trust God with this because what if he does it wrong? What if I, I have this problem and God comes in to solve the problem, but he doesn't solve it how I would? And so they don't get frustrated with God's timing because they don't let God solve the problem. All right, now let's talk about Abraham. Having said that, let's enter into the world of Abraham. And the story you just scanned on the screen is what I like to call the musical interlude of Abraham. You know how in every movie there's like a scene scene where they've got a musical interlude and time passes? I think my favourite's from a movie called... What's it called? Uh, with Hugh Grant, one moment. Notting Hill. And there's this musical interlude where he's walking and he's heartbroken and he's walking down the street and the seasons change around him. As he walks, it becomes winter and then it becomes spring. And you can see the flowers. And, the, and it's this great musical interlude where time passes and you recognise that he's journeyed on. Um, but in a sense, you know, he still carries the thing, but life's gone on. And I kind of think this is what happens in the story of Abraham because there's a whole bunch of stuff that happens that, frankly, we don't really care that much about, or at least we think we don't care that much about. So Abraham and his nephew Lot had been sharing the land. This is the brief musical interlude. And they decide there's not enough room for the two of them in the town. This town ain't big enough for two of us. And so you choose your side of town, I'll choose mine, and, it, and we'll part company. And so they do that. And Lot and his shepherds move to the city or the outskirts of a city called Sodom. And Abram lives on where he is. And then there's a famine in the land and everybody is starving. And so Abram and Sarai, his wife, or however you say her name at that point, move to Egypt. And when they're in Egypt... Um, Abram looks at her and he says, mm, you are hot stuff. And if anybody sees how hot you are, they're probably going to kill me if they think you're my wife so they can have you. And, and now you might laugh because she's quite old, but I did this week watch Channel 7 in the morning and they had Al McPherson on. Did anyone else see this? Yeah, 50. She looks like she's about 18. So I'm, I'm just banking in with here that Sarah was probably something like Al McPherson. You just, yeah, go with me here. Yeah, you're seeing it now. And Abram was a bit concerned he might be killed. So he says, just say you're my sister. That way, you know, I'm safe, covering my own bacon. And in fact, the Pharaoh thought she was hot when he saw her. And so he said, come and you come live in my collection of wives at the palace and um, I'll have you too, thanks. And so she moves into the palace and then the Pharaoh discovers that in fact she's married to Abram and he's done this sneaky little lie. And so he says, quick, get out of Egypt. I'll send you off with rich things and go, 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 take your wife and don't lie to me again. Um, and then there's a war in Sodom and Abram goes to help fight with the war, the war because Lot's caught up in it and he goes to rescue Lot, his nephew, and, um, and he meets this priest called Melchizedek who turns up in Hebrews, but I'm not going to talk about that today because that's a long story. Um, and, and then the king of Sodom offers him a great reward because he helped out in the war and Abram says, no thanks, I will not have anything that makes you be able to say, I made Abram great. And so he doesn't take any reward. And this is kind of how time passes. You've got the musical interlude, Abram's running here, running there, doing bits and bobs along the way. And then we pick the story up again um, at the covenant, which you would have scanned your eyes over. Um, And this is a very 
interesting piece of scripture. And I want to take just a few moments because Abram's been established in the land a long time. It's been a long time since he got up, left his family like we talked about last week, packed his bags and headed out obediently. When he headed out, God made him a promise. What were some of the things in the promise? Who can remember? Or who knows? Yeah, bless, blessings. Yep. What else? Yep, that I'll be with you. And, yep. Take you to a land that you don't know. Good. What else? Yeah, great descendants. The, your name will be great. So, yeah. Um, so it's a hint, I guess, of the descendants because that turns up in this one more clearly. Yeah. Um, and all the nations of the earth will be blessed. And we said that was a sneaky little gospel salvation message, didn't we? So it's been a long time. The musical interludes happen. We pick up the story and God speaks again to Abram and he says, I will make you great. I will... Do you mind just putting that up, Paul, so I refer to it correctly? And where the Lord came said, do not be afraid. I'm your shield. You're very great reward. But Abram said, O sovereign Lord, what can you give me since I remain childless? And the one who will inherit my estate is Eliezer of Damascus. You have given me no children, so my servant, the servant of my household will be my heir. Then the Lord said, this man will not be your heir, but a son is coming who will come from your own body. Uh, thank you for that. Um, and so Abram has this next encounter with God, and it's quite an interesting, sorry Paul, it's quite an interesting encounter um, because you hear that in the sense of it that when God speaks to Abram, he's sort of a bit like, well, tick-tock, hasn't happened yet. Time is passing and nothing has happened. And in the end, I'm going to leave everything I have to my servant Eliezer, which was part of the practices of the day. And, um, and so then God does this very strange promise with Abram. He says um, that won't be the case. In fact, you're going to have a son from your own body. So it's not like a, an adopted-in son that he's talking about. It's a son from your own body. And your descendants will live in this land and they will become a great nation. And Abram's a bit like, well, how do I know? And so God says, go and get um, a whole bunch of animals and um, this will grow you out. I remember hearing this story for the first time as maybe a 10-year-old and thinking, that is off. Um, and cut the animals down the middle and lay them out like there's an aisle. So you have um, animals laid out and this is the old school way of making a covenant or a promise. Um, in primary school we used to do sometimes like a, you know, like a blood promise. Did you ever do that? Or a pinky swear or a spit promise? Yeah, okay. So we're talking about the same kind of level of gross, only probably heightened a little bit. I don't know if you ever made these kind of promises. This is the kind of promise... God is making with Abram. I'm making a covenant. I won't go back on my word. And this is how you know. So the animals are laid out. And as the evening comes, a very dark sensation comes over Abram. And he goes into a very deep sleep. And he sees in this sleep a smoking pot and a burning lamp, a burning flax. And, um, and they travel down the aisle together. And the image that we have here is, if you remember in the Old Testament, further on from Abram, he didn't know this, but um, that God, when he travelled with the Israelites, what did he look like? Yeah, that's right. So a pillar of cloud or smoke in the day and a fire at night. You remember when they were travelling out of Egypt? And so that's kind of the symbol of God, sovereign God. Um, but also this lamp or light. Who do we call the light of the world? 
Jesus. So we've got this symbolism that God is making a covenant with himself, but in fact, Jesus is, uh, he calls himself the light of the world, but he also calls us the light of the world. He's the representative of us. And so they make, God makes a promise between God and man that um, he will see this promise through. And in fact, he's the only representative, like Jesus was the only man who could make a promise with God. The rest of us can't keep our promises exceptionally well. Um, not, not with God, probably. <laughs> um, but Jesus stood in the gap. And so with these two symbols, they walked down the aisle and together they made a covenant promise with Abram that would stand forever. This promise is true and you will see it come to pass. Um, and so Abram is renewed in his energy and he's renewed in his strength of the promise of God. And what a wonderful opportunity to keep living in faith he feels. So I want to read to you from Genesis 16.1 and it says this, now, now Sarah, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant. Oh wait, stop. Let me just say before I go any further, there was a problem with this promise that God had made. And the problem was two. Sarah was old and Sarah had always been barren. It's a problem. If you're a solutions-based person, you're in a lot of trouble with problems like that. Can't do anything about being old. Trust me, I know. Can't do anything in those days about being barren. Now, Sarai, Abram's wife, had borne him no children, but she had an Egyptian maidservant named Hagar. So she said to Abram, The Lord has kept me from having children. Go sleep with my maidservant. Perhaps I can build a family through her. Abram agreed to what Sarai had said. So Abram had been living in Canaan 10 years and Sarah, his wife, uh, took her Egyptian maidservant Hagar and gave her to her husband to be his wife. She said, he slept with Hagar and she conceived. When she knew she was pregnant, she began to despise her mistress. Sarah was a solutions-based person. Look at her go. I reckon Abram was only halfway through his story about the covenant and the promise. And can't you imagine? He's come back and he's telling the story and her mind is already going, it's not going to work. It can't work. There's no possible way. How will I make this work? He's really stuck his life on it and now I have to make it come through, but I can't make it come through. I know. I've got this idea. And she's buzzing. And I reckon the end of the story probably just trailed off into words he was saying that she saw his mouth move but didn't actually hear. I don't know. Anyone else been in that situation? Please tell me someone else knows. Yeah, okay. So, because I'm identifying with this woman. Here she is making a plan. And her plan is fairly reasonable. In the days of Abram and Sarah, taking your maidservant, um, who you owned, was like using a a surrogate mother. And um, they would sit on the knee of the mistress as they gave birth, which is gross. But in a sense, in a symbol, that the baby belonged to the mistress. And so Sarah's plan, there's a few of you going, that Sarah's plan was a fairly reasonable plan considering the culture of the day. Not really a solution we would work with today, um, but it seemed like a sensible and logical solution to a woman who could not solve the problem of being old and being barren. And so in a sense, the scripture kind of tumbles through the story. You know, it's been slow, we've had this long musical interlude and all of a sudden something is happening and it's happening fast. And it's gone from Sarah making a decision to a baby being um, conceived and to Hagar starting to get proud and haughty. 
and it's been a rush. And it's a very interesting tale when we rush into solutions making without a single word to God about, is this the way to go forward? Do you think God maybe, shall we, we could pray before we jump into our decision? Not a word about that in scripture. Decision was made and away we go. Let's read the rest of what happened in the story. Then Sarah said to Abram, (laughs) you're responsible for the wrong I'm suffering. (laughs) Hello. (laughs) I put my servant in your arms and now that she knows she's pregnant, she despises me. May the Lord judge between you and me. Your servant is in your hands, Abram said back. Do with her whatever you think is best. Then Sarai mistreated Hagar so that she fled from her. The angel of the Lord found Hagar near a spring in the desert. It was, a spring, uh, it was the spring that is beside the road to Shur. Apparently, if you know that area, it might be familiar. And he said, Hagar, servant of Sarai, where have you come from and where are you going? I'm running away from my mistress, Sarai, she answered. Then the angel of the Lord told her, go back to your mistress and submit to her. The angel added, I will so increase your descendants that they too will be, new, uh, will be too numerous to count. The angel of the Lord also said to her, You are now with child and you will have a son and you shall name him Ishmael for the Lord has heard your misery. He will be a wild donkey of a man. His hand will be against everyone and everyone's hand against him and he will live in hostility towards his brothers. She gave the name, this name to the Lord who spoke to her. You are the God who sees me. Solutions sometimes can be short-term solutions. We think, oh, that'll work, that sounds easy, move it all into place and she'll be right. However, sometimes short-term solutions don't cut the chase for resolution, for a big picture vision um, that has been planned and purposed before the beginning of time. And so before Sarah knew it, the trouble she had, the problem she had, had escalated exponentially. Now she was at conflict with her servant and now she was at conflict with her husband. He was in the mood to do nothing about it, passive-aggressive in that moment. He backed right away and said, your problem, I'm not dealing with it. And Sarah dealt with it in a way that was totally ungodly. Everything became this swarming mess of anger and hostility, disappointment, frustration, violence. And all of a sudden, this short-term solution that just seemed to be... Oh, what a perfect solution, had turned into a great mess. And we sit back and we go, well, Sarah, probably wasn't a very good solution. We have the benefit of all these years of hindsight where we can look at it and think, silly, silly, if I was you, I would have. But in actual fact, many of us who are solutions-based can get caught up in this rush and tumble of solving problems and jumping in and out of situations to make things work. Many of us that are good, well-meaning, righteous, God-seeking people can sometimes get caught up in the midst of rushing in to a solution that we think will work. And sometimes they work. Sometimes we're lucky enough to have a good guess and get it right. But what's missing in that is the intimacy that God really wants to foster between us and him. I'd like to ask the question, why would God make us go the long way round on a journey? I mean, why did Abram and Sarah have to wait so long to get God's promise? 
It does seem a bit unreasonable of God, really, doesn't it? And at some point, they maybe could have felt entitled to cross their arms and say, well, you know, you've had time. (laughs) Didn't get it done. It's my turn now. You know, you can understand where they're coming from. But God had a purpose in the waiting. And so this morning, I guess, for us as, in our, as our solution-based, and quite often, oh, I don't want to bother God with this issue, or I don't really know if I can trust God with this issue. He might not do it my way. With all of those kind of attitudes, I want to put to you just two thoughts about God as we finish. The first thought about God is that God takes us the long way around because he desires to help us grow. He doesn't want to give us everything that we want, like spoiled children, as soon as we stomp our foot and ask for them, or point, as the case may be, before we... I remember my kids, you know, did you ever get that? Point. They just say, no words, just point. And if they didn't get it, hello, turn the key and away she'd go, rah! And you know, sometimes we can want to do that point and tell God, well, this is the solution, this is the way to go. And God will not... Just give us what we want. Not because he's a mean God, you know, like a kid. What what does Bruce Almighty say? Um, God is a mean kid with a magnifying glass and I'm the ant. Using your magnifying glass thought. God is not a mean kid with a magnifying glass and we're the ant. He's not doing it to hurt us or to damage us or to, you know, um, punish us for being people that are not as powerful as him. He does it because he longs for us to grow, to become more than what we would become if we always got our own way. We know for our children that that's the case. When they get what they want, whenever they want, they become spoiled brats. In James it says this, James chapter 1 verse 2, it says, Consider it pure joy, my brothers and sisters, whenever you face trials of many kinds, because you know that in the testing of your faith develops perseverance. Perseverance must finish its work so that you may become mature and complete, not lacking anything. God allows us to go through long waiting periods because he wants to perfect us, to help us to grow, to encourage us to be dependent on him daily. He desires the intimacy. He desires us to build trust and to trust that his word is good and we can wait patiently for it. I always am willing to reward my children when they ask nicely and they wait patiently. If they nag me, it's a long wait. (laughs) But when I talk to God, I have to say, I nag a little bit. I want to encourage us as people who want solutions to look for a deeper resolution. God is not just going to solve the short-term problem. He is solving or resolving a long-term journey in developing us to become the people he wants us to be. The second thing God is doing, I believe, when we're waiting is that he's waiting to show us that he's the God of the impossible. Would have been no big deal, really, if Sarah had have had a baby at 45. I mean, it would have been a big surprise. I know, when I, when I was a teenager, a lady in our church had a baby at 45. In fact, she discovered triplets are more common <laughs> as you get older. So she went from six kids to nine. Anyway, you get that sometimes on the big jobs. But the... The idea of of Sarah being 45, surprising, but not impossible. But God didn't want to do surprising. God was building a foundation for the rest of his salvation story, and he wasn't going to build it on, it could have been a a natural chance. 
He wasn't building it on, well, that could have happened without God's help. He was building on, this is an impossible situation that only God can resolve. And sometimes God brings us into only God moments so that we see God. And we can't blow it off as some other thing happened. Oh, what a great coincidence. Oh, how fantastic that people did, da-da-da-da, you know? God wants us to learn that he is an only God and that he's able to do more than we can ask or imagine. But often we have to wait for his timing in that. He is a good God. He's a gracious and a kind God. And he's able to do amazing and wonderful things. I don't know about you, but look around you at one another. If you know people here, you will see some amazing God is able moments sitting next to you. People sitting next to you where God has actually been at work within our lives. And they're only God things. They're only God things. That's the kind of work that God loves to do. Stuff that is his, is, has his fingerprints all over it. So when you're a solutions-based person and you want to get it done today, I want to encourage you to slow down and ask, is God maturing me through this process? Is he asking me to wait? Is he asking me to trust him, to stand back and to see him at work instead of trying to make it all happen ourselves? And I want to encourage you to be growing people, just as Abram and Sarah were growing people in a season. And they weren't actually ready for the miracle until they were ready for the miracle. Next week is Miracle Week. Next week is the exciting week where we get to the point where the child of promise is born. So if you can, try and be here. It's also my birthday. But uh, that's just a, a side note. <laughs> let's, uh, let's close in prayer. Lord, we thank you for your word to us. And I just have the, the thought of the song we sang this morning, Strength will rise as we wait upon the Lord. Lord, sometimes we want to rush in, we want to take over, we need to be in control to make sure it's done right. And you know us, you know that in our humanity we seek to do what's right, but sometimes we take what is yours and try and do it for you. But Lord, you want to grow us deeper in our faith, deeper in our maturity, our understanding and our experience of you. So would you give us wisdom this week, just this week, to make decisions in which we put our trust in you in the waiting and in which we see you at work in the God is able and God only God moments. May your blessing be upon this community, Father, each one. Think, I think particularly, Lord, of Sarah this week and Wayne, as this could be the, the very exciting weekend. It's got to come out. So we just pray, Lord, for a real blessing on them this week, that this week after the waiting, that they will experience some of your wonderful God is able moments. And we just really pray a blessing upon them. And um, we just ask that you would be with us now as we each go to our homes. In Jesus' name, amen. Well, thank you very much for coming on this Australia Day weekend. I know you could be away, uh, but it's lovely to have you here. May God bless you and be with you this week. Don't forget to sign your kids out if you have them, and we'll see you next week.